Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. God sets the lonely in families. That is Psalm 68.6, one of my favorites because, well, that's what it's all about, right? Children belong in safe, loving families. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. I am your host, Sandra Flack. I'm excited to bring you our amazing adoption advocate guest today. But first, just want to check in with you. How are you doing? It's pretty cold up here where I am in the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, We've been enjoying some wonderful family time and some cozy nights by the fire playing board games. Um, I have to tell you that I have um, had my fill of Monopoly. (laughs) We just got a National Parks edition of Monopoly and my 17-year-old wants to play every night and you know how long a Monopoly game can take and I know there are special or there are different um, shortcuts you can take and whatnot but you know when 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 you learn to play a certain way um, you know my my kiddo it has to be the same every time so we have to play the same way the same version Um, and I do love board games so I don't mind Um, We play lots of Yahtzee and Sorry, Uno is another big one, and my son does so well with one-on-one activities, so board games are great, and he loves them too. It's a great opportunity to connect, um, you know, and have just through play, right? And when you um, have teenagers, board games are a great way to play. Um, That's how I normally feel, except for (laughs) um, three nights in a row now, we have played Monopoly. The first two nights was just he and I, and then last night, I, you know, my husband joined us in a game, and, you know, the first two nights, uh, he cleaned me out. My son cleaned me out. Um, I went bankrupt completely, and then last night when the three of us played, first my husband went bankrupt, and then I did, and Slava won for the third time in a row. And, you know, one of the things I love about it is he is getting good at, you know, making change. Um, He understands the concept of buying all the color, you know, the color properties, and then you can add the, the, the houses and the hotels. Well, in this edition, it's campsites and ranger stations. But Uh, He, I am telling you, all three games, he is the only one that ever landed on, you know, what, what uh, the traditional Monopoly, it's, you know, everybody wants Boardwalk and Park Place because those are the highest, you know, most expensive properties that get you the highest rent kind of thing. And in this edition, it's um, Yellowstone and Yosemite are the two properties, those two properties. And every game, he's the first one to land on them. He buys them both. And the only time I ever land on them is after he's already gotten, you know, the the ranger station on there, which is the equivalent of the hotel. It cl- cleans me out like every time. It just it's just crazy. I mean, we're not even 
you know, we're not even giving giving him any mercy or anything. It's not like we're allowing him to win. He's got a brain-based disability, prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, but he gets this game. He's good at this game, and he wins. And you know, I, I'm we're we're a little bit like weary of wanting to play this game again, but. All in a good fun. Um, he's learning to make change. He's really good at making change and, you know, knowing what the dice add up to really quick so he can move the spaces. And it's it's a good brain activity. It's a good learning activity, a good life skill activity. So we're having fun doing it. We're also connecting as a family. So it's fun. Um, and, you know, we're, we'll, I'll probably play again and probably lose, but we have been having some fun and, you know, do you guys play board games? What do you do with your kids? Do you play video games? Do you play board games as a family? What do you like to play? I would love to know. Um, you can email me or comment on our social media. Uh, you can email me at Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org or find me on my social media and let me know there. Um, you know, would love to know what you guys are doing for fun. And before we dive into today's uh, in interview with a special guest, I have some important announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And coming up, I am offering an FASD three-hour deep dive uh, using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. So if you um, have possibly taken my free Lunch and Learn, which we have another one of those coming up as well um, in March, uh, if you've taken that, if you suspect that your child uh, may have been prenatally exposed to alcohol or other drugs, or maybe you know that they have been, uh, maybe you're just researching, uh, maybe you want to learn more. This three-hour deep dive into FASD um, is a great way to learn more and kind of start looking at ways to accommodate. Uh, so that next one, that three-hour deep dive is going to be Wednesday, March 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I do it via Zoom, so this is an online workshop. Um, so that is, that's March 8th. And then I have a free lunch and learn, and that's just sort of scratching the surface. It's an introduction into FASD. That next one is on Thursday, March 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, there is a registration fee for the three-hour deep dive. Um, the Lunch and Learn is free, but you have to register for either one of them in order to get the Zoom link um, to be able to participate. So you'll want to go to our website, justicefororphansny.org, 
and click on events and you'll see the drop down of what trainings we have coming up, what workshops that you can register for. And we do provide certificates of completion um, for any, all of our trainings. So you will be able to, if you're, if you need to add to your continuing credit hours, you know, education as a foster parent, um, you'll be able to count that there. Um, and we have a link to our website in the show notes, so that will be easy for you to find in case you for you know didn't, didn't catch it. JusticeForOrphansNY.org, um, and stay tuned because we have lots of trainings coming up. Um, there will be coming up also. It starts at the very end of February. The information is on the website, not in my brain at the moment, but I am going to be doing um, an 18-hour course, an 18-hour deep dive into FASD using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. And that what that looks like is it's six three-hour sessions. So it's like every Wednesday night for six weeks. um, And it's in in the evening, Eastern time, I believe it's 7 p.m. And that is that is 18 hours worth of content that's the 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 deepest we go um into into FASD um so that is something that you can sign up for as well um if you've already taken the lunch and learn or the 3 hour um you'll be in really good shape and understanding what you know what that's going to be all about um but that they're not prerequisites you could just jump in and and just take the 18 hour if you want to um so though all that information is on our website also be sure to check out our bonus episodes with Dr. Jared Brown. Uh, Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, and all of the things. And this series of episodes with him focuses on the topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents, such as prenatal trauma, complex trauma, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, the effects of screen time, uh, executive dysfunction, uh, inappropriate sexual behaviors, which if you're parenting teenagers who, um, you know, have a trauma history or have been prenatally exposed, that is definitely a real part of life, um, a concern that that we need to be aware of and, and prepared for. Um, but other things, working memory, sensory processing, like all of those things that we are, um, you know, really need to understand. We dive into all of those a little bit deeper with Dr. Brown and regular episodes of this podcast like you're listening to right now. We always drop a new episode on Mondays, but the special series with Dr. Brown, their bonus episodes, they drop on Fridays and you're not going to want to miss them. We, we're, I believe we're going to end up doing 22 or 23 episodes all together with Dr. Brown in this series. Um, and they're, they've been some of our most popular uh, with parents and caregivers, and they all land in the same place. So if you haven't listened to any of them, you can you know look at our episode library and just scroll back and you'll be able to see the episodes with Dr. Brown. They're marked. You'll know which ones they are, um, but they're excellent content. You're going to want to take notes while he's talking um, because I always feverish, feverishly am, and it's just such great content. Um, so make sure you check those out. And please subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss a single episode and so that other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers can easily find the show and be encouraged and equipped too. Now to today's guest. Rita Sorenin is president and CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. For more than 30 years, Rita has worked on behalf of the abused, neglected, and vulnerable children. 
Leading the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption since 2001, she works to find forever families for the more than 140,000 waiting children in the North America's foster care system. Through their signature program, Wendy's Wonderful Kids, the Dave Thomas Foundation is on a mission to dramatically increase the number of adoptions from foster care. So she's doing the work that's near and dear to our hearts. So please welcome Rita Sornan. Hey, Rita. Hey, how are you? Good to see you today. I am wonderful, and I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. I love everything that you're doing, everything uh, through Wendy's Wonderful Kids and the Dave Thomas Foundation, just incredible work on behalf of children um, in the foster care system and families who are adopting. So thank you for all that you do. Oh, thank you, and thank you. I will send that right back to you. Thank you for the incredible work that you're doing personally, certainly the family that, that you have, but but the work that you're doing, spreading messages and, and resources to lots of other folks. Thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know, you really dedicated your life to advocating for vulnerable children and your list of accomplishments is, is just extraordinary. Um, but I'm curious to know what led you to this line of work? Tell us what your why is. Yeah, it's a great question because sometimes I, I sort of shy a little bit away from that. I was not adopted. I don't have adopted children. But what drew me into this business, I think, is who I, I am as a person. I came out kicking and screaming as a very young child of, you know, that's not fair when it had to do with children and children not getting what they deserved, whatever that was in my mind as a child. The reality is I pretty much think the same way as I did as a child, that if a child is hurting, if a child feels unsafe, if a child is is lost, then where are the services? Where is the family? Where is the unit that surrounds that child? I've always felt that way. So it moved into, quite honestly, I was on an entirely different path, but um, we're here in Columbus, Ohio, and my family moved back to Columbus, Ohio when I had my first daughter um, a, a lot of years ago. She was just an infant, and I was trying to figure out, you know, getting back Back into work and, and and taking care of an infant. And there was this horrendous case of abuse on the news. An infant passed away as a result of, of abuse. And I was just in that right frame of mind with an infant at home that I needed to do something about this. And so I quickly became a volunteer with which was then the, um, the Ohio chapter of the Committee to Prevent Child Abuse and learned everything I could that turned into a position um, uh, working on child abuse prevention. First of all, how do we keep children and families from getting engaged in into these systems? Um, how do we keep them intact? How do we provide our arms around them and supports that they need? Um, I was there a number of years and then um, had the opportunity to become the um, director of uh, the county system for the court-appointed special advocates program here in Columbus, Ohio. So learned that different phase of that child welfare system of how do we advocate for children's best interests when they are involved in now a very complex system and sometimes don't have independent voice on their behalf. And so learned everything about that, was there nearly a decade. And then the opportunity to move to this position came in front of me. And, and you know, the doors opened and I said, let's give this a try. And so now it's been for me a bit of that um, unintended, but somewhere intended path of, of prevention. How do we keep families from coming into care? Intervention. How do we help children when they're involved in that very complex system? And now post, what happens when we've created essentially legal orphans in this country? Children have been freed for adoption. And how do we assure 
their basic right to family, safety, and home. And so the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, not sure it's the end of the journey yet, but it, it was that next leg of the journey. So for me, again, my why has always been, uh, I think, justice for children. That's, that's mm. I love that. I love that. And our, our listeners are primarily adoptive parents and foster parents. But, you know, I'd like for you to update because I know you, you, you know, you're paying attention to the number of children in the foster care system, those who are ready to be placed into adoptive families. Has there been an uptick in the number of children in the system, um, you know, between COVID and the economy and just all the things in the world? Have you seen an uptick in, in the number of kids in care? It's a great question because in the midst of COVID, we were all very concerned that because children weren't going to schools, uh, you know, the families were um, delaying doctor's appointments, all those points of entry where professionals may see a challenge with a family and be able to offer help were were being muted because families were home. Um, and so we were very fearful that there would be once the doors opened again and people were back, um, um, back to work, back to school, that we, we would see a significant increase. We're not seeing necessarily, it's state by state, we're not seeing that significant increase. The economy, of course, uh, will always have an impact on those issues as well. The challenge that we're really seeing in the child welfare system is a workforce issue. So that there are, we lost so many um, qualified child care workers, um, social workers, case workers, and it's been really hard to repopulate. Some states lost as many as 40% of their workforce. And so it's difficult to gauge where the accuracy of the numbers is when we don't even have the frontline field sometimes being able to adequately respond to the needs. So I think there was a, a bit of an uptick, some states more so than others. Not that huge, huge wave that we thought we would see, but time will tell. We send a you know, you tend to see these in waves. And so it may be the next six to 12 months, we might see something different. Um, you know, knock on wood, states are also trying to do a little bit better job of keeping kids safely at home, not letting them immediately come into care. And so there, there are a lot of dynamics, a lot of challenges happening in the child welfare system right now that we hope are working to the benefit of children and families. Yes. And, and then at the end of the day, there still are over 100,000 children in, in well, over 400,000 children or roughly in the system, over 100,000 still waiting for their forever family. So that's really the focus. And, and Wendy's Wonderful Kids has, I believe, more than 500 recruiters um, throughout the United States and Canada. Um, and, and, and that's what they're doing. They're looking for families for uh, these children. So um once children, because I know one of the things, because a lot of our listeners are already foster and adoptive parents, they already know the great need. But another thing that that you do is you offer those post-adoption resources, because really, you know, it's one thing to bring kids, you know, we, we kind of, I've adopted internationally, so it's quite the, the marathon to just get your kids home. And whether you're doing an, a domestic adoption or a foster care adoption or international, however they get home it's not over. It's really just beginning because now you've got children in your home that have very unique needs because of trauma, because of prenatal exposures and that kind of thing. So I know that um, 
Wendy's Wonderful Kids, the Dave Thomas Foundation offers post-adoption resources. Um, so c- could you share a little bit about what, what that is, how that works? Absolutely. And and you're right, you know, for the longest time, and the, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption has been around since 1992, but our primary focus for quite some time was how do we quickly raise awareness about these children waiting to be adopted and then um, support or create programs like Wendy's Wonderful Kids that move those children most at risk of aging out of care into permanent, safe, adoptive homes. But it's been the past five or so years as the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program has grown significantly, we realized, just as you so brilliantly said, adoption's not the end of this journey for children and families. It's that comma in the sentence. Um, um, It's how do we make sure now that families and children have the kind of supports that they may need post-adoption? Because again, as you and your your audience knows, there are multiple layers of trauma of children that are adopted from foster care and frequently that are adopted internationally. Um, and, and, And sometimes mental and physical health issues and sometimes just trust and bonding issues. Whatever those challenges are, how do we make sure that families have resources at hand when they need them. So we've begun to develop and and we're really working on this now in a much more um, strategic way of how do we, what can we do, where can we be value added in enhancing or creating post-adoption resources for not only children who are adopted through the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program, and we've finalized more than 13,000 permanent placements for children through this program, but but, um, for others as well, not just people that come through the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program. So we do that right now through our grant making. For example, um, we have long been a partner with the Center for Adoption Support and Education case um, out of Maryland and the D.C. area. Um, and one of their unique programs is um, that they've created, and it's it's been brilliant, is training um, mental health uh, counselors in adoption-competent mental health therapy. So that it's one thing to have a counselor for your child. It's another to have a counselor that understands the dynamics of abuse and neglect, the dynamics of of adoption. And so they've created this program now that is spreading across the country so that there is a resource available, not in all communities yet, but but a growing number of adoption-competent mental health providers. That's one. Another is we've long spent partners with the North American Council on Adoptable Children, and specifically their Adoption Subsidy Resource Center, so that the majority of children adopted from foster care have a subsidy that follows them. But sometimes states or counties hold tight onto those dollars. And we know those dollars as a post-adoption resource are critical, right, for whatever it might be. Um, and so there's they've got an amazing adoption subsidy resource center that provides advocates and counselors and folks that can help families that are challenged by that. And then on a state-based, and specifically for Wendy's Wonderful Kids, but again, this is where we're beginning to test and poke and prod and strategically think about how can our resources be used at a bigger level. In three states, it's um, Colorado, Ohio, and and um, New York, we're supporting programs that are available to families who do adopt through Wendy's Wonderful Kids. And there are three different programs that provide different kinds of adoption support resources from from everything from an ongoing um, adoption sort of buddy that's with that family post-adoption that's gone through the service that understands and can get them connected to resources to someone that takes them through a very specific kind of 
trust-based relational intervention work that I'm sure your your audience knows all about. So just depending. And so we're testing these and looking at them and hoping that we can elevate these and other programs um, that will be much more available to families uh, across the nation. But then we think of ourselves as a resource broker as well, because we have a footprint in all 50 states with programs through Wendy's Wonderful Kids. We can make referrals when we know about a good program that exists, or we can connect somebody to Case who can talk to um, the, the folks that they've trained in a specific state and, and make referrals. So I think we're we're um, um, very much in that in that mode of making sure that as quickly as possible, um, families shouldn't have to. Um, wait weeks or months or years to get connected to a resource, how can we be value added and at least getting them connected and then bolstering what may already exist as well. I love all of those resources. And you did say at the beginning there that it's not just for folks who adopt through Wendy's Wonderful Kids, but for any adoptive uh, parent. Right. The, uh, the state-based ones are, are specific to Wendy's Wonderful Kids right now, but those others, Case and, and NACAC and others, are, are national resources for folks that can get very local very quickly. And how would our listeners access any of that information for resources? I think they, if they just go to our website, DaveThomasFoundation.org, and click on, um, uh, one, click on the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program, that will tell you the states that we're located in, and they can get connected that way. But they can also use just our info at Dave Thomas Foundation to get into either via email or 800 line, 800 SDTFA, and our professionals here can get them connected to those resources as well. Wonderful. We'll, we'll make sure we put a link to your website in the show notes for our listeners to be able to easily um, access those. Um, now, I'm a mom of five five adopted kids. Um, one was a kinship. We, we kind of came in to this through the back door, I often say, because we, we our, our first daughter was not um, in the foster care system, but she probably would have gone there had we not welcomed her into our family. And then eventually we adopted internationally, but we went through a, a, an adoption agency in another state. Very long story. But I say all that to say we had zero preparations. We had no foster parent training classes. We we just, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and when she, when our first daughter came in back in 1999, because we didn't go through the foster care system, I, we had none of that training. And because she came in as a relative, we just thought, well, you know, we'll treat her as one of our own, as one of our other kids, and we're just going to all live happily ever after. And, you know, we all know everybody out there is probably chuckling because we all know that really doesn't work. But we, we didn't know anything about trauma or the impacts of trauma on a child. And we didn't know anything about even prenatal exposure, the impacts of that. We didn't know anything about anything. Um, by the time we adopted internationally, we started realizing we needed to pay attention to things, you know, but we didn't have any formal training. So, that is something that I, I am passionate about families having. And I know that you mentioned, um, you know, the trust-based relational intervention piece. That was something that we did go after um, because we realized that that we really, we needed that. But we had to learn the hard way by first doing the things all wrong and then realizing this is not working, we need help, and then seeking that help very intentionally. Um, and then our youngest two that were adopted internationally who are now teenage boys, and that's like a thing in all of itself, <laughs> teenage boys, but um, both diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome when they were six and eight. Um, but at the time of their diagnosis, the only thing we got from the developmental pediatrician was um, you know, you might want to focus on life skills. Like that was literally all we were told. And 
we didn't know, you know, and there wasn't a whole lot out there at the time. Um, and what, what I did find online was scary. So I was sort of like, uh, um, focused on the TBRI stuff, the Empowered to Connect. And, and my husband and I went on and became facilitators of the, of the Empowered to Connect parenting course. And, um, you know, now 11 years later, um, after seeking out vital training, I became a certified facilitator of the FACETS Neural Behavioral Model so I can help parents and train parents and caregivers and professionals to better understand and be equipped with, you know, to parent kids, care for kids with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So, gosh, the more I've learned about that, the more my eyes have been opened and the more I talk about it on this podcast because um, it's so little known really. Um, but recent recent studies have shown that one in 20 school-age children have been prenatally exposed. And that's just your average American middle, middle uh, you know, school-age child, one in 20. That's much higher than the rate of autism. But everybody has heard a little bit of something about autism. I think autism is, is one in 50 or 49 kids. Um, you know, but the, the number of children with prenatal exposure in the foster care system, there's this disproportionate, it's like 86% of kids with an FASD are in the child welfare system. So it's, you know, I always tell our listeners, it stands, you know, just with those numbers, if you are a foster parent or an adoptive parent, it is highly likely you're going to welcome a child into your home who's been prenatally exposed. You have to be educated and equipped to parent effectively um, these kids. So I say all that to say um, in the in the in the resources that you offer, um, is do you address any of that? Do you address FASD at all in your post adoption resources? So not directly for parents at this point. What we do is again, the, the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program you mentioned earlier is this army of 500 plus full time adoption professionals yeah. that are engaged by and employed by the state or the county or the agency with whom they work. So we're, they're not our employees. So what we do, we've got this evidence based model that they employ that gets those longest waiting children adopted. We provide um, ongoing tra- initial training, ongoing training webinars. We bring them all to Columbus once a year for for a specific, very specific two day training. And so it's through those venues that we do that kind of training for uh, the Wendy's Wonderful Kids recruiters, who then probably, hopefully, in, in most of their agencies, get some kind of that training as well, or at least understand where the links to resources are for the families that they're directly reaching. So it's an indirect approach, um, but again, I think you point out such a, a, a incredible statistics that tell us it's another place as we're thinking strategically about what is our menu of post-adoption resources that we can offer in the long term and in the near term begin to plan for. This is one of those that we need to be much more intentional about as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's my soapbox. That's what, because I, I have <laughs> lived experience and the more, you know, the more I've learned, the more I realize <gasps> we need this and we don't, we don't get it. I mean, I've had par- I've had parents, you know, foster parents who've adopted through the foster care system, you know, with kids with symptoms of NFASD, you know, have their pediatrician say that's not a thing, right? You yeah. know, and it's like, 
oh my gosh. And it, but, it points um, to those, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It points to those different levels of where we need to continue to keep that engagement happening. It's not just a child welfare system issue. It's an education system. It's a pediatrician, a medical system. It's a, it's a, a, a healthcare system, you know, and I know there's some recent um, uh, movement in Congress uh, to look at health health care um, for children, uh, mental health care in particular, um, and 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 FASD was one of those things that were mentioned. So it's it's I don't think everything can be solved in D.C. because that trickle down effect of those dollars that may get set aside is a long time coming sometimes. But how do we cross systems with these conversations so that teachers are as educated as parents are as educated as pediatricians in the conversation of FASD? Yeah, and that's one of the things that we're working hard to do in in New York and as part of the FASD United affiliate network um, t- to be able to, to just have this conversation all the time with everybody um, and, and, and bring that awareness, you know, get, get the awareness out there. So thank you for, 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 for um, sharing about that. And then the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, and I love this, um, tell us about the Adoption Friendly Workplace Program. Yeah, and this was, we were founded by Dave Thomas, who founded the Wendy's restaurant chain. He was adopted, and he created the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption as a national nonprofit public charity to increase awareness about and and get some activity going relative to foster care adoption. Um, And this was one of his uh, sort of initial campaigns, even before the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption was created, he would pick up the phone, call fellow CEOs and say, hey, do you provide adoption benefits to your families? Um, if And if not, why not? If Do you provide birth benefits, right, to families, t- paid leave, time off, um, some kind of financial assistance? And we all know birth is a medical issue, of course. But you should be providing similar benefits to families that are formed through adoption or families that foster uh, children. Um, And so he began this very organically. And we've taken it on as a legacy program of of Dave Thomas and have have created a 100 best adoption friendly workplace list. But behind that is um, significant resources, toolkits um, for employers to say, if you don't have adoption benefits in the workplace, we can make it really easy for for you. We've got templates of policies, we've got toolkits, we've got connections to other employers that do put them in. And we know that when you provide as an employer, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a teeny tiny um, uh, nonprofit, when you provide adoption benefits in your HR package, it creates a sense of employee loyalty, a, a sense of fairness, um, and it just is a, a goodwill statement that we support families, not just one kind of family, but all families. And so we created this program to continue to educate employers about the availability of this kind of effort. Uh, and then this 100 Best Adoption Friendly Workplace list, which businesses love to be on, on lists like that, where they say they're one of the best, um, and, and annually. Um, we put this out based on a survey that we do of employers that participate in the survey. Do you provide paid leave? Do you provide um, financial assistance for families? Do you provide any kind of assistance for families that are fostering? Um, And so that it becomes a much more robust part of not only a conversation at a place of employment, but then they sometimes do, uh, actually frequently do collateral things like brown bag lunches for um, talking about adoption, um, uh, intranet 
networks for families who are adopt uh, adoptive families. And so they can create this natural network in the workplace. So it's just a nice way to normalize this conversation about adoption and create a sense of equity uh, among families. Mm, I love that. Another another pro-family um, campaign there. So I love that. And um you know, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption has been doing amazing work on behalf of children in foster care, adoptive families. So Rita, what are what are your goals for 2023? What are you guys working on? Yeah, that's great. And and you know, we've talked about one of them. We're really looking strategically at this notion of how do we embed post-adoption as one of our pillar activities, not just a, a byproduct, but a pillar activity in the next few years for the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. But we're doing that planning this year and next. Um, we're also the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program that we've mentioned. Part of our goal with that has we know it works. Evidence shows that it works up to three times better for um uh that very specific population of children at risk of aging out of care, teenagers, children in sibling groups, children with very specific mental or physical health needs. It works for those kids. Um, And so we've been working to grow it significantly. Um, It was lovely that we could provide private resources to have one or two recruiters in a state, but we knew the need was far greater than, um, you know, if a a, a Wendy's Wonderful Kids recruiter carries a caseload of 12 to 15 children. Well, we know that, you know, 30 children doesn't begin to address the need in a state like New York, for example. And so we were... um, have been growing and embedding this and taking it to scale in states. And by scale, we mean first that there's a a co-investment relationship with the city or the state and the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption so that we have the resources that we can get the number of recruiters in place that can serve that focused population in the state. We're effectively scaled or scaling in, I think it's 14 states now. And so our goal this year is to get at least I think three to five more states scaled um, and we're well on our way. We just got verbal agreement for uh, another state and we're beginning to um, scale in, in a second one as well. So to, to take this to scale so that those children who could benefit from this intervention most have the availability of the of the human resource and the and the fiscal resources to get that done. So that's, that's a big um, plan for us this year. Um, we're constantly looking at our existing programs, the Adoption Friendly Workplace Program, National Adoption Day. We were lead founder and funder of that National Adoption Day initiative a number of years ago. How do we continue to make them relevant? Um, Always, of course, bigger, better, but particularly that adoption-friendly workplace program. We want to make sure that we've got the word out about this so that every employer um, has uh, some kind of nod toward adoption benefits in the workplace. And then one of the biggest initiatives that were, I guess they're all big for us, but one of the, (laughs) the most exciting initiatives is constantly this storytelling that we do. The way that we can normalize this conversation about foster care, foster care adoption, post-adoption is to simply tell the story. And so um, I think if folks look on our website, you'll see a number of video stories about families that have been brought together through foster care adoption. And we want to continue to use not only those stories of lived experiences of families, but lived experiences of older youth in particular who have experienced the foster care system, who have experienced adoption, who may have aged out of the foster care system. We want to make sure their voices are very strong in the work that we continue to do. The last one that I'll talk about is we've all been, I think, very focused on this conversation about racial equity and social justice and diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
the foster care system in particular has always had an overrepresentation of black children in the child welfare system, a growing overrepresentation of Latinx and, and um, Native American children, LGBTQ plus children, you know, all those, those populations that, that, that may struggle on a daily basis in the foster care system um, certainly struggle significantly. So making sure that um, our voice is loud and clear about how we address this um, and both internally and externally on this journey about racial equity and social justice. All such important topics and love all of the work that you're doing. Um, I think we've all, you know, probably everybody's heard something about the Dave Thomas Foundation and, and Wendy's wonderful kids, but I just love how you've unpacked it here for us today. So we know so much more. And and since our listeners are, are mostly adoptive and foster and kinship caregivers, I always like to wrap up with some words of encouragement for them because they're on this journey. They brought kids into their home. It can be such a struggle at times. Um, many of them may not have the supports, the kind of things, kinds of things that you guys are trying to do that you are bringing to the communities. So Rita, what, what would you say to families who are listening, who are on this journey, caring for kids from hard places? They first need to know that they are my personal heroes, each and every one of them. Um, and they are heroes of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. That's why we do the work we do, so that there are those families out there that will care for children, no matter what their circumstance was um, before they landed in their homes, and that they will continue to care for them in a way that's supported. And so my promise to them is that we will, you know, we want to hear their voices. Please reach out and let us know what they need. Um, Feel free to contact me or any of our staff members at any time um, so that we can hear your voice, so that we can do this journey together in a way that best Um, satisfies the needs of families who have stepped forward and given their heart and their lives and their homes to children. Truly, I can't, I, you know, I, I am, I am in awe every day of those families and want to make sure they know how much they are cared for. They are respected and they are loved from this foundation. Oh, well, thank you so, so much. I know they're my heroes too. This, these conversations are some of my favorite. Um, I mean, I'm on the journey with that lived experience, but just, hearing from other parents, you know, that's where so many of us, and I think that's why we have so many listeners is because it's just kind of finding your people, knowing that we are like-minded and we're on this journey together and we all have the same heart and passion, but the same, you know, struggles at the same time. Sometimes we have those great victories as well. So um, to know that our voices are heard, so very important. So thank you so much. Rita, give us the, the website again where we can find more information. You bet. It's DaveThomasFoundation.org. Or if they're so inclined to pick up the phone, it's 800-ASK-ASK-DTFA. And the phone, there's always a voicemail, but the phone is answered during business hours or Eastern time. So uh, eight to five Eastern time. Oh, well, thank you so much for all you're doing. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, Wendy's Wonderful Kids, your work personally, Rita, the, all of these years advocating for vulnerable children. Um, just thank you. Thank you so much for all that you are doing. Um, we appreciate all your hard work and for being here with us today. Thank you. It's been my honor to talk to you and my pleasure. Thank you so much. Same here. Thank you so much. All right. Wow. Such incredible work that Rita and her team at the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and Wendy's Wonderful Kids 
incredible, wonderful, much needed work, um, really advocating for children in the foster care system to be adopted and advocating and, and providing services and, and resources and supports for families who have taken that step to adopt children. So I hope that you'll check out their website. We will put the uh, show uh, link to their website in the show notes. Check them out so that you can um, you know, really be able to access the resources and supports that they do offer. Um, and just so grateful to have them and for all the work that they are doing and grateful for you all who are listening to the adoption and foster care journey. Uh, I hope you feel inspired and just encouraged and better equipped for your parenting journey today. Um, you know, loved having uh, Rita Sorensen on. And then um, we've got some other guests coming up. Um, I've got Dr. Douglas Waite, who is um, an MD in the New York City area who specializes in FASD. He will be on. And of course, I'm continuing um, my series on the primary characteristics of FASD. Um, And I believe we're going to be talking about sensory processing um, as one of the primary characteristics on an upcoming episode. So we've got some great things coming up for you. Remember, for guidance on your parenting journey, be sure to check out our website for our resources. We have the Hope for the FASD Journey Virtual Support Community. Um, We also offer the Intro to FASD Lunch and Learns. Those are free online um, webinars. And our deep dive workshops, deep dive into FASD, um, where I uh, use the FACETS neurobehavioral model um, and unpack that and, and, and better equip you for your parenting journey if you're caring for children prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, whether you've got a diagnosis for them or not, this is vital training for all adoptive foster and kinship caregivers. So to check out all of those resources, you can go to our website, justicefororphansny.org. I also like to give a shout out to our business sponsors who, you know, really help us do what we do. Um, Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kuksaki, Cullman Insurance Agency, and Cedar Shade Farm. Um, these businesses care about children and families and help us do what we do. If you enjoyed the show, Be sure to let us know by subscribing, leave a review, that would be great too, and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also look me up too at Sandra Flack. So grateful that you spent your valuable time with us today, and I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.